We are continuing our series through the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. And I think one of the temptations that we have as modern Christians is to look back in church history and to identify a golden age of Christianity. And I think many people have seen the first century of Christianity as the golden age. And I think the book of 1 Corinthians is a great anecdote to that way of thinking because the book of 1 Corinthians was written in AD 53. It was one of the first books of the New Testament that was written. So just 20 years after Jesus died and rose again, and yet they're really screwed up. And so it didn't even take 20 years for the golden age of Christianity to end. In fact, I think if we look back carefully and read the Bible carefully, there was no golden age. And one of the symptoms of that, even in their day, was imagine this. There were people who professed to be Christians who didn't live like they were Christians. And so Paul writes to this young church, and simply he's saying, True Christians don't just talk the talk, they also walk the walk. So if you're a true Christian, it's not just something that you believe intellectually, it's something that affects your entire life. And so I think that we can be encouraged that we are in good company with all Christians in all times, in all places, that our temptation is also to be hypocrites. So let's just be reminded of what true Christianity is this morning. The first thing we see is that true Christians are stewards. We're in 1 Corinthians. We're going to go through the entire chapter 4. We're looking at just verses 1 through 6 to start. Paul writes this, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, It is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So Paul's putting himself forward as an example, and he says, this is the way that I think about my life. I am a steward of the mysteries of God. I'm a servant. He's not saying, I've received the grace of God in such a way that I'm just sitting back doing whatever I wanted. He's saying, I've received the grace of God in such a way that it has made me desire to be trustworthy. Now, that word trustworthy literally means trusty or faithful. I don't know about you, but when I think of trusty, I think of a good pair of jeans. You've got your jeans, but then you've got your trusty jeans. 
They fit just right. They're dependable. And you end up always pulling those jeans out before any of your other jeans. Maybe you just wear those jeans all the time. And Paul is saying, in terms of a servant of Christ, I want to be like that. I want to be found to be trustworthy. And he is imploring us that we should also want to be trustworthy. And he says, because I have this ambition in myself to follow after Jesus in all the actions of my life, not just to talk the talk, but also to walk the walk, I am not judged by anyone. He says, in fact, that he doesn't even judge his own actions, but instead he says, God is his only judge. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of people over the years say, don't judge me, God is my judge. But usually, they're using it in the exact opposite way that the Apostle Paul is using it. They're not saying, my life has been trustworthy, and I'm a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. They're basically saying, I want to party on the weekends. I want to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I want to live whatever lifestyle I want to live. So you're not my judge. God is my judge. Which if you think about it in this context, it's actually a terrifying thing for them to say. Because Paul is not saying he is free from the judgment of God. He is saying that he is perfectly aware that he will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So one of his primary motives for Christian obedience is a daily awareness that he's not getting away with anything. Jesus is coming back. And he will, Scripture says, judge the thoughts and intentions of every person's heart. So it is wise for all of us to have an awareness that God is our judge, not so that we can escape the judgment of one another or even escape our own judgment, but so that we have a standard for our behavior on a daily basis. And so there's this sobriety in the Apostle Paul's life. Now, I've had a front row seat to a steward, in a different sense, in my own home. So something kind of remarkable happened, and that's that one of our neighbors asked one of my kids, Aria, nine years old, to watch their turtles while they were gone, among other things in their house, get their mail, that sort of thing. And so she's got this stewardship, and all of the other kids are kind of looking on, like a little bit jealous of this position that she gets. And right away, Aria took full responsibility for the stewardship that she'd been given. So she was supposed to go over there at 8 o'clock in the morning. She was supposed to go over there at 6 o'clock at night. And not once that entire week where she was turtle sitting did we have to remind her to do that. Why? Because... She 
understood the responsibility that she had. She understood that this family was coming back, that she would be held responsible, and she also understood that she would be rewarded if she did a good job. So in that sense, she was free from my judgment, she was free from my wife's judgment, and she was free from any of our kids' judgment because she had put herself under a greater judgment, the judgment of the family who was actually holding her responsible for the task. And Paul says that's how we should think about our stewardship to be his servants. It's not the primary responsibility of the church or of any other Christian or even of you to judge those within this room. The primary judge is God himself. And if we align ourselves under him, we will have a right perspective. So I think this is the test to see whether we are living in a judgmental way or if we are living as stewards and servants of God. Do I feel superior to others? Am I looking down on others and saying, I think that I'm a better Christian than they are. I think that I'm following the rules better than they are. I think I'm doing a better job than they are. And the secondary test is kind of opposite but has a similar root to that test. And the question is, do I feel inferior to others? Because if you think about it, feeling inferior and feeling superior both have the same root in the sense that they're self-focused, they're rooted in pride, and they are based on us becoming the judge. And so rather than feeling inferior or feeling superior, God's word would have us feel a deep sense of responsibility to God himself. So that's the first test of true Christianity, is we see ourselves as stewards and servants. The second test of true Christianity is that we see ourselves as fools. Okay? We've seen this theme go out through the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's continued here. We're reading verses 7 through 16. For who sees anything different in you? What did you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. 
For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So Paul is saying to this young church at Corinth, listen, your lives are marked by pride and prosperity. If I asked you how you were doing, you would say, I'm doing well. And if you asked me how I was doing, I would say, I feel like the scum of the earth. Paul is saying, I'm bouncing from town to town. I'm working on this church planning ministry. I'm doing tent making on the side, and my life is incredibly difficult. And people are persecuting me, but I'm also suffering from homelessness and poverty and hunger and thirst. And my days are filled with pain, both physically and relationally. Because people don't like my message, and they identify me with my message, and so they hate me. And as many people are coming to know Christ, there are people who are rejecting Christ, and because they reject Christ, they reject me, and so I'm going from prison to prison, and I'm going from lashing, literally, to lashing, and there is a threat on my life each day. And he describes himself as a fool. Because in the eyes of the world, the wise way to live is to avoid pain, relational and physical, and to not identify ourselves with anyone or anything that would make us feel like we're losing. This is the exact opposite of the prosperity gospel. This is the suffering gospel. This is the real gospel. When you embrace Jesus and you follow after him, the Apostle Paul says elsewhere that anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Christianity on the surface is going to make your life worse. And so, the world looks at you, if you're a true Christian, and there will be aspects of your life where they will say, what a fool. What a waste of life. Why would the Apostle Paul live this way? Why would he call us to be imitators of him in this way? Are we masochists? Do we like pain? Are we trying to look like Religious radicals that everybody looks at and says, wow, that's really noble of them to do that. No, I don't think that that's what he's getting at. What he's saying is his motivation in the way that he lives is not so that people will look at him and say, wow, but so that the love of Christ would be demonstrated through him. He sees himself as a dad. Good dads are willing to look like fools to love their kids. Good dads end up doing crazy things that people look at and they say, why in the world would that guy go through so much pain and so much sacrifice to care for his family and you don't understand it until you become a dad? I remember one such moment 
that's vivid in my mind and completely embarrassing to me that I had with my dad when I was in around seventh grade. So, seventh grade science fair project. All right, my mom's laughing. She's in the third row already. And uh, seventh grade science fair project, I had just started playing golf. And I apparently didn't know anything about golf. But I decided that my science fair project would be to see how far different golf balls go, not knowing that it was a really stupid science fair project because I was so inconsistent that I was not going to learn any data about golf balls with my golf swing. But as a procrastinator, I kept putting this project off and putting this project off and putting this project off and putting this project off. I wasn't what you call a school person, and so it just kept going. And so I got to the weekend before the science fair project was due, and there was snow on the ground. And so I had to get this thing done. And I think my dad even probably initiated like, hey, it's due this Thursday. You have to do this now. And I'm like, well, how am I going to hit golf balls in the snow? So my dad and I went to Walmart, got four or five different kinds of golf balls, went out to driving range, And my dad was out in the driving range in overalls, in the snow. And I was with a driver on the tee, teeing up various kind of golf balls and hitting them at my dad. And the the setup of this driving range was like the tee is here and there's a road right there. So there's just cars driving by. And this is within like miles of where my dad works. This is at the Purdue University golf course. My dad was a professor at Purdue. And he's out there, and and maybe somebody saw him and thought, what an idiot. What is Dr. Stevenson doing out on the driving range chasing after golf balls and having a seventh grade kid hit them at him? Why was my dad doing that? Because he loves me. He was a fool for me put himself on the line, throw, him, throw himself out there. And this is what the Apostle Paul's saying. Listen, I've become the scum of the earth. I've become a fool. I've become the refuse of all things. I go from place to place, not so that you'll say, wow, what amazing spiritual accomplishments, but so that you will see a glimpse in my life of the love of Christ. Paul is saying, I am a weak imitation of what Jesus has done on our behalf. I'm a fool. He was the ultimate fool. And true Christians learn over time as they mature that it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is better to be a fool than it is to be wise. Because only fools are giving their lives away for others. So true Christians are fools. And last, thankfully, we see that true Christians are empowered. We're not meant to live this way as stewards and fools on our own merit or through our own effort. Paul says, starting verse 17 through verse 20, 
That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. I think this is the key verse of the section. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? So first of all, Paul sent Timothy to this church. He said about Timothy elsewhere that he has no one else like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Sends Timothy because Timothy is the real deal. Timothy walks the walk as Paul does. And what we learn from that section is that the presence of a truly godly person is convicting to nominal Christians. Isn't that true? If you get around somebody who is truly living out the spirit of the gospel and they are there to serve you and they're laying down their life for you, your hypocrisy and your pride and your arrogance is exposed. And you begin to be exposed as a talker, not a walker. And Paul says that's the very reason he sent Timothy there. So that these young Christians would be exposed in their immaturity, and in their immaturity they would be led to genuine repentance. That they would see that Christianity is not about what you say, but about the way that you live your life. Here's what we know from Scripture about the danger of talk. Proverbs 10.19 says this, Where words are many, sin is not absent. We're always talking about how mature we are as Christians. We know one thing for certain. We're not mature Christians. Words can cover either our laziness, our lack of spiritual discipline, our lack of love for other people, or they can cover our pride. They cover up how we're really in it for ourselves, how we're really ambitious for our own kingdom. We're really ambitious for our own glory. So here's what that type of talk leads to. Type of talk leads to arrogance and pride and division and a lack of true evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in our lives. Talk is a poor substitute for really living out the commands of Jesus. And Paul contrasts talk with power. Here's the interesting thing about power in the Christian life. Do you know how you receive the power of the Holy Spirit so that he lives through you and you step aside? It's not by trying really hard to obey Jesus in your own strength. It is by, with your talk, admitting 
what you really are. It's so counterintuitive because our tendency is to run from who we really are and to try to cover up our insecurity and our pride with spiritual performance. And if we stop spiritually performing and admit, I can't do this, that is when the power comes in. That's when the humility comes in. That's when we start to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit to those around us, and they begin to notice that something is different in us. That's when we begin to not try to keep score, but we lay down in our lives in love to others. Now, I've been thinking about this as I've been doing yard cleanup, because there have been different phases in yard cleanup since we moved to Minnesota. We've got all sorts of massive trees, and the race is on right now. I know all of you feel that, who have yards to clean up leaves in, because it could snow at any moment, right? I don't care what my weather app says. Like, for all I know, there is a blizzard out there right now, and you don't want leaves all over your yard when there's a blizzard out. So basically, at first, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, and so I tried to just rake all the leaves, Really bad idea. Raking leaves. I mean, just hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of raking. It's like all I was doing was raking. So then we learned, I've got to get one power tool, right? The mower, but you've got to put the bag on and you mow instead of rake. But then I was like, you know what? I really need another tool. I need a leaf blower. So we got like the steel backpack leaf blower so like I can blow out all my flower beds and do all that kind of stuff. But then I'm like, I don't just need the leaf blower. I also need the leaf sucker because the leaves get like around the fence on the side. And so guys, it took a lot of humility for me to admit like I'm not the guy who can just rake the yard all fall and spend hours and hours and hours of that. I need a lot of help. I need to be empowered, right? You guys see where I'm going with this? <laughs> So here, here's the thing, we, we can't possibly, if you're sitting here right now saying, yep, okay, you've written down in your journal, like, I am going to be a fool for Christ. Like, I'm going to lay down my life, and I'm going to live this life of love. Here's what I'm saying to you, good luck. There is no way that's going to happen. You are far too proud and far too much of a jerk to actually do that. There is no way. The sin is in there too deep. And so I think this is what connection group has to look like this week. It basically just has to turn into confession time. Like, I am so far from this. Like, a fool for Christ, laying down my life, putting myself on the line, a steward? who really believes that I'm going to be held accountable by King Jesus for every careless word that I speak? Okay, what would make us do that? Okay, to really own up to where we're at, to actually stop like our religious pretending enough at Connection Group this week to have a real conversation with each other. Why in the world would we do that? Because in Scripture, we don't just have a person to imitate. Jesus is, is the perfect example, and Paul is imitating 
him. But the message of Christianity is primarily not one of imitation. It's one of salvation. See, Jesus is the ultimate person who became a fool. And the evidence of his foolishness is the cross. And Jesus went to the cross for people like us. People who talk about Christianity but don't really live it out. Hypocrites from every century. And he hung on the cross because he knew we can't do it. And so he took our place and he paid for our sins. So the good news that I have for you this morning is even though you're just as screwed up as I am, you're forgiven. It is finished. The work is done. And because the work is done, and we don't have to perform for each other or for God in order to be right, we can receive what he's given us with the empty hands of faith. And so I want to invite you into the finished work of Christ, which makes possible the empowering of his spirit. And I want you to receive both. Maybe you're in the camp where you've received the finished work of Christ. You've said, yes, I'm forgiven. But you failed to receive one of the primary benefits of his work on the cross, which is his power to live the Christian life. In Colossians, Paul says, Just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He's saying to make progress in the Christian life is the exact same path as receiving Christ initially. You receive him by faith, with humility. You bring nothing to the table except for your sin. And we all have plenty of sin to qualify us for that. So let's pray and receive all that Jesus has for us. Jesus, thank you that you did not just die to forgive us and leave us powerless to live the Christian life on our own, but that you are our good Savior who forgives us and gave us your spirit so that we can live out a gospel life. And God, I think all of us who are true Christians, when we, when we hear this message and we hear about the lifestyle of Paul and, and the love, and we see that he was a father to the fatherless in the faith, and we see the way that he lived his life and laid down his life, we want that. There's, there's something in us that desires that even more than we desire the things of this world, even more than we desire to be successful or to be seen as wise. God, I pray that you would give us the gift of repentance in your kindness that leads to real life change. That our desire to live laid down lives would grow that it would manifest itself in real daily living where we could point to our own lives and like Paul, we would be able to say to others in our lives, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
And in all this, Jesus, would you be the one who is worshiped, praised, and honored? I pray this all in Jesus' name.